in freedom in Christ. And so, uh, what's the theme that we're looking at this year? Set free in 2023. Some people have got a good memory. Um, some of us need reminding every week, don't we? Yeah. And so, we've been lo- what it, looking at what it means to know freedom in Christ, to know the freedom we have in Christ, and then what it means to live out that freedom and to encourage others to discover that freedom in Christ. And so, as a guide uh, for this part of the year, we're working through Galatians because if, you, if you've been reading through Galatians and I encourage people to read through Galatians regularly so we've got it in our hearts and minds, then you'll hear the letter, the, you'll hear the heart of Paul as he wrote to the, Galatian, the people of the Galatian churches in, um, in that area of Macedonia, Thessalonica and the like. All right. So today we're up to Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31, and uh, it's not going to be on the screen, so I'm going to read it until it comes on the screen. And this is the... uh, Thank you, thank you very much. Okay, so reading from verse 21 of Galatians, we finished at verse 20 last week, and we're doing a passage by passage working through Galatians. And this is what... Paul writes on his continuing letter. If you remember, last week he, he, uh, we looked at the part of his letter where he was pleading to them as brothers that, that, that they would not listen to this false teaching that was being put out there by these uh, Christians from uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem that had come up to try and convince the new believers in these newer churches that they should embrace uh, all the um, uh, law aspects of the Jewish faith as well as the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And, and tr- the trouble was that they were pushing that and it was causing confusion. So Paul wrote this letter to try and get people back on track. And he said he didn't want to alienate these brothers and sisters in Christ in the Galatian churches because he had to write something very strong. And in fact, he was saying, wake up. Uh, and so they could have taken offence but he's saying, I'm doing it out of a fatherly heart, out of a love for you as my brothers and sisters. And he goes on to say, and in this particular part, it's, it's, a, it's one of those part of, parts of the Bible, you ever read a verse or a few verses and you think, why is that there? What's that there for? And uh, sometimes for us, coming from a Western perspective and certainly a Christian perspective, we don't understand some of the Jewish background that Paul was referring to. And this is one of those passages. So my challenge today is to make some sense of it for us and then to see, well, what does it really mean? What should we take home out of this today? So that's my plan. So Paul's just read this passage, he's just written this section of the letter that he's saying, you know, it's as if I'm I'm going through pangs of childbirth again for you because you've wandered away from that truth which I first preached to you. So now he's trying to bring them back in. And he uses this illustration, if you like, or this allegory, this story from the history of Israel to show them how serious their decision is about what they choose to believe. So that has some context for us today too, doesn't it? Reading from verse 21, and here we go. Paul writes, Tell me, you who want to be under the law... Are you not aware of what the law says? Now, remember, the Judaizers were saying we need to follow the law of Moses. Whenever you read the law in these verses, we're talking about not the uh, secular law of the uh, Romans or the uh, Greeks, 
but the law of Moses from the Old Testament. That's what he's referring to all the time here. Verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, in some translations they say one by the bond woman, and the other by the free woman. Verse 23, His son, Abraham's son by the slave woman, was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. We're going to look into that. These things may be taken figuratively, or another word for that is, we would use the word, an allegory. A story with a, me- with a deeper meaning. For the women represent two covenants, two agreements. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar, that's the slave woman. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and, re- and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Verse 27, For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud. You have no labour pains because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Paul writes, it's the same now. And I would say, for us, it's the same now too, when we understand it. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And you understood every word of that, didn't you? Huh? What are you talking about, Pastor John? Well, certainly if you take it out of the context of the whole letter, you wouldn't understand what it was saying. But I believe uh, Paul has a message, well, we're getting there. I believe Paul has a message to those who are being swayed away from salvation through grace, by grace through, through faith in Christ alone, to salvation plus the works of the law of Moses will guarantee you acceptance with God. So he was writing to them. He's, he's trying to pick up on something that their Jewish understanding or the Jewish background to convince them that the decision they were making was way off track of what God wanted them to do. So what does, that, what does this passage mean for us? I think it has some context in our world today. We might not get it at first sight, but when we dig into it, I believe God has a message for us. So, are you ready for it? Let's start with this. I want to tell you a story. It's a Catholic priest and he's blessing a horse before it went in the, race, in, in the horse races. Anybody been to the horse races? Come on, you're not all... I've been to the horse race. Okay. Uh, and anyhow, this story goes about a young fellow. He was a little bit naive. He, he supposedly was, let's make him a Baptist young fellow. They never go to the horse races. And... Um, Anyhow, he was, he was struggling in his faith and he thought he'd go along just to check it out. He'd heard some of his mates talking about horse races. So he goes along and the thing he sees before the first race is this Catholic priest out in the paddock blessing the horse that was about to race. And he thought, oh, this is interesting. So the, the race went along and that horse won. Guess what he thought? This must work. So he watched the priest. And for the next race, the priest went over and did the same thing. So guess where he put some money? On that horse. And it won. 
five times, five races, the same thing happened. You think he was on to how it worked? Anyhow, the sixth race, the last race, he thought, I'm going to put it all in. I'm going to bet it. This is a lesson about gambling and not gambling. <laughs> so, he puts all, so he sees the priest over there, puts blessing on the horse, puts all the money on that horse, races, and the horse dies. <laughs> and so he goes over to the priest and he says to him, oh, look, I've, I've been... I've been betting on the horses that you've blessed all day. And the priest says, you, you Baptists don't get it. You don't know the difference between a simple blessing and the last rites. <laughs> so, the reason for that story this morning is that we don't always see what is in front of us. We don't always understand what's happening in front of us. And that's sort of like this part of Paul's letter. Okay, it's, it's, it's a story related to the history of, the, of Israel but it was a particular story for the new believers of the churches in Galatia and certainly it's a story for us. But to discover that story, we have to jump in deep and, and look at what Paul was referring to. Remember, Paul was a, um, his background was a, uh, he, he could have been a, a Pharisee. He, he, he was trained up by Gamaliel, one of the chief priests, and he could have become a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. And then, then Jesus got to grab, grabbed hold of him and, and showed him the truth of what salvation is always about. So we have to be careful that, that the events that we look at or hear about on the surface, we just don't take them at face value. Because sometimes there's a deeper meaning. And certainly that's the case in this passage. This is the story we're going to look at today, or just, that Paul's just referred to, is the story of... Um, um, Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac and what happened as a result of their births and their lives and the impact it had on the nation of Israel. So Paul's referring back to that to try and convince these people, listen to the truth, follow the truth, don't get sidetracked. And is God saying that to us today? I believe he is. There's so many things out in their world uh, that are attractive that would lead us away from the foundational truth of faith in Christ alone. That I, I hear in Paul's letter, the message for us today is stay true to the simplicity of the gospel. Don't get caught up in all the add-ons and the fancy bits that people are offering. I wonder, when we uh, come to this passage, we may need to draw on some of our background knowledge. But what Paul is saying is that the law is bondage and spiritual slavery. That's the law of Moses, remember that? But faith in the promise, which he's referred to there, is freedom and spiritual fulfilment. What promise do we put our faith in? God. Christ died for our sins, was raised to life, we are promised forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Is that a good promise? There's probably about ten promises in there. But that's the promise we cling to. And anything that's additional or seems to be added onto that is, is unnecessary, first of all, but it's also uh, not a part of the original promise. So that's what we're being called back to. That's what Paul was calling the uh, believers back to. And in this passage, I'm going to look at three things. I'm going to look at the sons, two sons of Abraham, what their significance is, the interpretation of that for the people who are listening and for us, and then the practical application. What does this passage, like, I don't know about you, but I have a, 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 
theology, I have a Christian practice that says any part of the Bible I can read and God will have a message for me in it because it's the living word of God. It, it often depends on what questions I ask about that passage but God will say something to me from it. So even these ones that seem strange or hard to understand, there's a reason why they're in the Bible and part of our responsibility is to discover what that reason is. So we know that people are saved, that means they're saved from the consequences of sin, they're sanctified because they're being made into the likeness of Jesus through faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of what we do, not because of what they do. What we do does not achieve any of this for us. There are many results. Once we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, our lives will change and we will want to do things, but they're not the reason for our salvation. I think, uh, Pat, you got the message over the last few weeks. You mentioned it this morning. I think I harp on it a bit, but that's okay. That's okay. Someone will remember it. So these legalistic Jews, Paul Paul starts in verse 21 there. He says this, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? So so this this part of the letter is directed particularly, like um, narrowing in, if you like, on those that have either decided to believe in this false teaching or are wavering on the edge. You know, it sounds good. Others are believing it. Maybe I'll dip my toe in the water and believe in it too. But Paul, Paul writes to them, he says, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? So even though it sounded good from the people that had come along and spoken to them, did they fully understand what the law of Moses was about? That's the question he asked them. And these legalistic Jews, you could call them, they were promoting this, this keeping of the law, the following of the festivals, the... the uh, 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 practicing of the foods that should and shouldn't be eaten, the work that should and shouldn't be done. But he says, he says to them, please wake up. Listen to me for, for one final point, if you like. Because if you remember, early in the piece when we started looking at Galatians, there's, there's three clear sections to the Galatians. There's uh, Paul's uh, biography or his credentials. There's the theology, which is chapters 3 and 4, and this is coming to the end of chapter 4. And then there's the practical application or the ethics of putting it into practice, which we'll venture out into next week. But he says, he says to them, just get it for one last point, one last part of the argument. Do you know what you're opening yourselves up to if you take on living under the law? Listen, hear, is what he says to them in verse 22 goes on, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the other by the free woman. Some of us might know that story if we've read through the uh, uh, story of Abraham. You remember he, uh, Sarah couldn't have any children till later in life, 99 years old. And so she convinced Abraham to uh, sleep with her slave woman, modern woman, Hagar. And from Hagar he had Ishmael. It wasn't until 17 years later that Isaac was born and was born in a, a way that Paul describes very well in these passages. The Jews were always boasting 
And I, I think I have an understanding of why Abraham went down this track in his letter. The Jews were always boasting of their heritage to Abraham. Remember some time ago we looked at it wasn't Abraham's actions that saved him that, that God considered him as righteous. What was it? His faith. His relationship with the one true God. That's what convinced God of Abraham's righteousness. And so Paul is trying to get them back to that and he's trying to say, you follow the law, you know the law, you follow the law, be careful because it does not bring salvation. So, if physical descent from Abraham was was important to these Jewish teachers, then they needed to understand what that meant. And so Paul was highlighting it. He said there's a difference um, uh, in those relationships between a slave woman and a free woman, which is the wife of Abraham. And they were boasting about being descendants of Abraham, but they really needed to understand what that was about. And then he goes on to say, just not who the mother was of the children of Abraham, but what her status was, if you like. And that's that status of being a free woman. And then he goes on in verse 23 to talk about the manner of the birth, what happened at the birth or how that birth came about. He says, oh, there's our picture. So here's Abraham's family tree early in the piece. Abraham at the top. Hagar, the slave woman, her son Ishmael. Sarah had Isaac, Rebecca and other uh, children, grandchildren from there. So it became quite a large tribe which was one of the promises that God made to Abraham. So just keep in mind, Hagar was a slave woman. Sarah was the free woman. She was Abraham's wife. And, okay, so I've got that there. I've just noted it so that we remember. Verse 23 says, His son, so he's talking about the children of Abraham, the the sons of it, by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. What's that mean? Uh, Husband and wife, or man and woman have relations, and so he's born in the normal way, a physical act. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. So the manner of the birth is important. And we would say, well, I would say in my description that the son, uh, the free woman, was born as a result of a miracle. Nine-nine-year-old mother and a hundred-and-something-old father and in our eyes, impossible, but in God's eyes, nothing impossible. So, slave woman, Ishmael was born in the ordinary way through uh, Sarah. Uh, Isaac was born as a result of the promise. So, you see where he's going? I don't know if you see where he's going yet, but he's getting there. He's he's saying, this is what you guys are saying you want to believe in or the basis of what you want to believe in or the history of what you want to believe in or the claim to um, uh, connection with Abraham that you want to believe in. Just think about what you want to believe in is what he's saying to them. And the next one. There we are. Ishmael equates in that deeper meaning to to the story. Ishmael equates... Salvation by your own works. So he was a son born by the design of um, Sarah initially when she said to Abraham, take Hagar and, and give me a son. But it was a salvation by works. It was very much a doing something that would achieve acceptance with God type of idea. I wonder if there are people still doing that today. I think I know some of them. 
where if we do the right, supposedly the right thing, if we're good enough, then God will accept us based on what we do, not necessarily based on what he has already done through Jesus Christ. So it was to the message to these people who believed the Judaizers. He said, you need to think seriously about what you're basing your belief on. Whereas Isaac, in verse 24, we'll get up there, Isaac was the symbol of the spirit-born believers, verse 23. So he was the result of a promise, not the, not the result of um, man's choice. That, that choice is still around today and I see it every day. People trying to achieve the best that they can, there's nothing wrong with that, but they think, they don't, well if they do think about spiritual things, they think that they're going to be good enough for God to accept them. Whereas we know that the only way God accepts us is when we surrender our lives, let him take control, let him put his spirit into our lives. So Abraham was using this background story to say to them, this is where you're coming from, this is what you're committing to, think about it, think about it. Now he goes on to say, I want to tell you what's really happening here. He wants to give them the interpretation in verses 24 to 29. As I was preparing this message, I thought, how do we address people in our society who might have different views to us but are really good people and they think they're doing okay and they think that when life comes to an end, they'll be all right with God because they've done really good things in their life. How do we address them in a similar way that that Paul wrote to the uh, Galatian believers? My conclusion was that Paul knew really well where they were coming from. He knew really well what that Jewish background was. So he knew where he could speak into their lives and touch points in their lives that they could sit up and take notice on. So do we do that today? Was my question, do I do that today? Is my question. Do I get to know people to the point where I've heard their life story. I've heard what influences have happened into their life. And so, when they talk about being good or good enough, can I then touch base on some of the things in their lives where maybe they haven't been good enough and will God really overlook that in their goodness scale, if you like? Do we know people well enough? What's our relationship with people to the point where we can speak truth from God's word into their life? Just a side sidebar to what I was thinking about Paul's message here. So the interpretation, verse 24. It writes, these things may be taken figuratively. Now, another word for that is the word that we use called allegory. And I've got that there which says a deeper meaning. For the women represented two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are slaves. This is Hagar. So Paul is, as it were, reinforcing his argument the two sons, the two uh, manners of birth by, by person's choice or by God's promise. And now he's reinforcing that, saying, you know, Hagar is a slave woman and all her children are slaves. Uh, this allegory that I referred to, anybody read uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? 
Uh, you, you might have read it and forgotten about it already, so you need to read it again. It's a really good book. But it's a book about pictures, picture language, and each person and each event in that book, uh, John Bunyan tried to relate it back to a Christian truth or experience. So Paul here is saying, what happened to Ishmael and Isaac is very important for you to understand now in the decision you're making. goes on in verse... And uh, John MacArthur has, has made a comment about the law of Moses. Uh, John MacArthur, a preacher and teacher from the States, retired now, I think. He says, The law of Moses, even when kept to the best of a person's ability, is nothing but a prison, a death row cell where one waits for eternal execution. What's he saying? Being, following the law to the dot will not gain you acceptance with God. Because what was Abraham's uh, basis of acceptance to God? We said it before, faith. He was considered righteousness because of his faith. And so John MacArthur was just expanding that a bit further. Alright, so... What we, why isn't the law, why isn't it good enough just to keep the law? Any thoughts on that? Don't have to answer out now. But my thought is that um, we're not made to know and love the law, the law of Moses. That's not why God made us. We're made to know and love who? God. And just by doing the law won't get you to knowing and loving God. There's a, a personal Obedient response that will get to know you. It's like, it's like a mum and dad don't um, get this greatest fulfil- sense of fulfilment when their child doesn't climb over the edge of the cot. Yeah, it's good that they know they're safe, but that's not the thing that gives them a sense of uh, fulfilment as parents. It's, I think it's that smile or that giggle or that, that recognition or, or that hug of affection. That's what gives the parents a sense of accomplishment, isn't it? And as that baby grows, obedience to household rules is nice, but it's not not a replacement for that warm relationship with mum and dad. And this is a bit of the contrast between what Paul was trying to say with the law and grace. God wants us to love him. He wants our loyalty, and out of that will come the actions that flow. Whereas these false teachers came so, coming and saying, no, no, if you do the actions, then God will accept you. And uh, so Paul's trying to ram it home. And Hagar, who represented that fleshly birth, that birth of the slave, uh, is that the one that represents the current Jerusalem of the day. He goes on to say in this next verse, she is in slavery with her children. That was, that's what Jerusalem was in those times. The Romans were in control. Uh, they were the conquerors. And that's what he was saying. Now, Hagar stands for that, you know, under control in this current Jerusalem. But he goes on to say in verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above... Now, again, if you dig, you've got to dig deep into, the, into these uh, Jewish understanding. The Jewish understanding was levels. There was Hades down below. There was life as it is. And then there was the um, level to come, the, the, the heaven to come. Uh, we probably think that way too. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. 
and she's our mother. So, how many times has he said this in these few verses? Hagar, the slave, manner of birth, um, um, uh, Sarah. How's that for a mental lapse? Sarah, the wife, the free woman, the mother, the hope. So he goes on and he says, just like Jesus said in chapter 8 of John, he said, in this new Jerusalem, you will be free. And the promise is that if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That freedom is, is not freedom from our obligations or freedom from, from the uh, regulations and rules of life. It's freedom to be accepted by God and then to live for God. That's the freedom she's talking about. So Paul's reiterating this in a way that these um, people who've heard this Jewish teaching have started to sway towards the, the other way, the law. All right. Verse 27, Paul writes, he, he takes the passage from Isaiah to remind them of the prophecy that was going to come and he tries to point them back and say, this is what's happened. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud. You who have no labour pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Pointing pointing them to the promise that God gave to Isaac, that he would become the father of many nations and that Sarah would be the one that those nations would come through. A child of promise. That's what he was trying to emphasise. Be glad. Under the old covenant, there's this spiritual barrenness. Under the new covenant, there's this hope, there's this promise. And that's what he's trying to say. Now, he goes on and he reminds them of the decision that they've made when he was first amongst them. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. This is what you believed. And then you're drifting back. But you are my, he's he's saying, you are my brothers in Christ because you are children of the promise that God has given. Sometimes we will have friends, uh, family members that will get caught up in things that we're not happy about. It could be poor theological teaching. It could be uh, poor business practices. It could be poor decision making. And and yet their, their children or their brothers or sisters or, or friends who you know walk closely with God and how could they say that some of these things that they're involved in, God has led them into that when it's obvious that what they're doing is really outside of what God's word says. How do we, how do we react to that? Do we tend to forget that at one stage those people who might have walked closely with God even though they might be turning their back on God now, they still did walk closely to God and God loves them, Christ died for them. Do we tend to forget about that and just focus on the poor decisions they're making or the poor actions they're taking? Sometimes we need to use what Paul's strategy is and say, but you are children of the promise because that's what you believed originally. What's made you change that is the question I ask people. What's different now to when you first put your faith in Jesus? And I think our responsibility is to bring ourselves and our loved ones back to that point of when they first believed in Jesus. Paul goes on to say that the heavenly Jerusalem, the one that uh, is is, uh, promised to be established on earth ultimately, 
in the end times, after the end times, then he's saying that's where freedom comes from. That's where freedom comes from. goes on. At that time, talking about the uh, children of promise, at that time the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. Do you remember what happened in the story of Ishmael and Isaac? When uh, Isaac got to, I think it was three years old, a time of weaning away from dependence on his mother, uh, Ishmael was about 17 years and he tried to uh, uh, bully, if you like, we'd say bullying these days, bully uh, his young stepbrother with an air of authority that he was the number one son. And that's exactly what Paul was writing to. He said, these Jewish people are coming to you and they're trying to bully you into following the, the law of Moses rather than being led by the Spirit of God. Verse 29, at the time the son born in the ordinary persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. And Paul was persecuted often in places where he went and ministered by the Jewish people of those days because they thought that he turned his back on God. He hadn't. He'd seen the promises of the Old Testament, the promises of the Old Covenant fulfilled in the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to say, it's the same today. It's the same now. They'll experience the same thing. So this third part of this message today is the practical application. So he's highlighted the problem. He said, this is what's going to happen if you make the choice one way or another. Let's see what the results are. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So what happened was, if you know the story, um, Sarah, uh, Sarah asked Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away because there's just too much uh, trouble in the household when they were there. The, the, the two pairs couldn't live with each other. The uh, mother and son and the mother and son couldn't stay under the same tent roof, I think, in those days. So the, the practical application was one had to leave. Now, God didn't give up on Hagar and Ishmael because ultimately Ishmael became the father of the Ishmaelites, which is the modern-day Arabs of today. But they didn't have that same grace and promise that God gave through Isaac to his descendants. What was, what's Paul saying, using this illustration? He's saying law and grace can't be mixed. That's what he's saying. Law and grace can't be mixed. Doing things or accepting what God's done for you can't be mixed. That's how, that's how simple it is. Because he says God rejects legalism. And that's what he did when he sent the slave woman and her son away. He was rejecting legalism. Last verse of this passage. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We are therefore those who God accepts because we are heirs of God and joint or co-heirs with Christ. Interesting passage. You don't really get it unless you look into the background. So, hopefully that's been interesting, but what's it saying to us? Law and grace can't be mixed. Salvation through faith. It's the same message, isn't it? And we have to get it. But I think it's a great example too of how Paul utilised some of the background knowledge that he had of the Jewish faith 
to really hone in on that particular point. Maybe it's a strategy we should think about when we're talking with people in in day-to-day life. If we know some of their background, if we know some of the things that have happened to them, then maybe we can point them to Jesus in the midst of those things or or by referring to those things. So I want to finish this morning by uh, sharing a couple of things in conclusion. First of all, the law is what God demanded. No one could be totally obedient to the law, but grace is what God has provided. What a great picture. I love that picture. Grace is what God's provided. So all of us, whether male or female, Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, can share God's inheritance. That's the way he's planned it. And it's based on trusting in Jesus as Saviour. Recognising that we are children of the free woman, according to what Paul's written. We're released from the bondage of the law and we're offered God's grace instead. A question you might want to consider this morning. Has God's grace made you free to live life in obedience to God? There's a a verse out of a song that we sing sometimes. It says, Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I come, Jesus I come. Into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus I come to thee. We can come only based on the grace that Christ offers to us. It was Abraham's faith in God's promise that made him right with God. No works of the law were acceptable for that salvation. And I wonder today, if we need to be constantly brought back to that place, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? But why am I doing the right thing? It's because of what Christ has done for me first. It's because of what Christ has done for me first. We need to, and it's not going ahead for me, folks. We need to be set free in 23. We need to understand what our freedom is. It's freedom from those rules and regulations. Not to mean that they were wrong or anything like that, but, but freedom from them being the basis of our relationship with God to faith in Christ alone being the basis of our relationship with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if it was as simple as doing some tough work or uh, doing so many good things to be acceptable to you, I'm sure many of us, there'd be many more people that would be on that journey. But it's not that simple, Lord. The simplicity is believing in Christ alone. With that comes the responsibility of surrendering our lives to you, Father, surrendering control of our lives to your spirit within who reminds us of the things that we are to think, say and do every day to bring honour and glory to you. Not because we have to, but because we want to. So Lord, this week, as we come across situations in our own lives or in other people's lives, help us to know that your Spirit's with us, that we live each day in the grace that you have to offer. Lord, help us to Use that as an example in our own lives that we might show grace and mercy and forgiveness to others as we model out what you've shown to us. Father, I pray that uh, as we've looked at these, some of these tough passages in this letter of Galatians, that Lord, you might have honed in on some things in our lives that we get hung up on 
and Father, that you'll have dealt with them and given us some insight. And now we just ask you to give us the energy and the motivation to live out the truth that we know. Lord, to live by your grace and to offer that grace to others. So Lord, uh, be our strength this week, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.